All right, Nate. Sports are back. We've been getting pretty sick talking about all this coronavirus stuff, but now the news has kind of shifted positive. We don't have to be like, oh, there won't be a football season, and we actually have some good stuff to talk about for the most part. Yeah, that's definitely true. I don't know about you, Mike, but I was I was starting to get sick of, you know, I feel like Big Ten Network has had like 12, quote-unquote, Ohio State days where they rerun, you know, like the greatest Ohio State games ever. And I was getting to a point where those just weren't doing it for me any, anymore. I, I know that Curtis Samuel scores in the second overtime against Michigan in 2016. I know that there's a controversial, blown pass interference call in the 2002 National Championship. I've just seen them so many times. Yeah, that's true. It's um, it's sort of like, you you know, hey, Alexa, play Billy Joel from the – oh, no, my Alexa's actually going to start playing. Never mind. But I was going to say that you like, kind of like play your play your favorite albums over and over again, and then after like the seventh time you've heard it in a week, it's like, oh, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, put Billy Joel to the side for a little bit. Uh, right. Yeah, and I, that's that's kind of how I've been feeling. I, I've been like rotating a lot. Like I I don't like ESPN that much anymore. I've been going Fox News. I've been doing some some Big Ten Network. I kind of been jumping around, but I've gotten tired of like certain broadcasts uh, pretty quickly. I would say during this Corona time, where it's just highlights. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm absolutely with you. I feel like I can can truly say, Mike, I'm at a point where my sports television consumption is at an all-time low. And, and you know, I think part of that is because in this society, things have shifted to podcasts, right? It, it feels convenient. Mm-hmm. I can listen to a podcast in the car. I can listen to a podcast when I'm lifting weights or going on a run. Um, but all that still to say, I have watched far less ESPN, Fox Sports, anything, um, because it's been boring. And, and so it makes me really excited to think that there's actually live sports again to talk about. Yeah, exactly. And I think let's take this, I guess, like step-by-step approach, and we'll talk about like one sport at a time and then circle back and see how does that apply to college football because obviously there are a lot of nuances that go into what Ohio State's going to try to do. But out of the – we'll say, you know, let's take uh, MLS out of, out of it here, but let's, let's talk <laughs> – MLB, NBA, and even NHL. I mean, the NHL hasn't started yet, but we know in theory what they're doing with the bubble and stuff. Which sport do you think has it most figured out so far? That, that's the first question that I would ask. And then the okay. second question is, which sport is the most entertaining uh, product on television thus far? Man. Um, well, Mike, you you know me. Uh, hockey is not – not my strong suit, so I don't know if I can adequately comment on that. Um, you know, but in terms of who's doing it best, I think it, it appears to me it's somewhere between NBA and NHL. You know, they both have gone weeks now without a positive test, which is, is absolutely impressive. I think I would give the nod to the NBA strictly because – um, they're in one location. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the NHL, Mike, is is competing like there's an East Coast bubble and maybe a West Coast bubble. Is that right? Yeah, they're both in Canada. I think one's in Edmonton. I forgot where the other one is, but there are basically yeah, two separate bubbles. So that's another just strike that it's all taking place in Canada. Um, but and, and in terms of best products, I, I feel like – it's hard to argue with what you're seeing in the NBA. And and the reason I say that partially, Mike, is because I I don't think I realized how much fans add to the experience, right? It's fun to have fans there. And so me turning on a Indians twins game just doesn't have the same feel because there's no one sitting, you know, in, in the seats behind home plate. They have that camera angle that shows stands every time and it, it just feels depressing yeah they tried the virtual fans on on Fox. terrible uh yeah they were not good it was so stupid because it's like you see a foul ball and there are a bunch of fans and then they flash back to the pitcher and there are no fans you know it's kind of like what are what are we right. trying to do here um i i've enjoyed baseball i don't think i well, i think i've probably watched more baseball thus far than i did all of the 2019 season and i think that just speaks more so 
how much I've been starved for sports. Like, all right, you know what? Padres, Giants, 940 on a Thursday. Let's fire it up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is desperation. I was like, Manny Machado, I didn't even know he was on the Padres. And apparently he was on there uh, a whole last year. So, a whole last um, season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I, I've enjoyed baseball, but I, I understand that it definitely takes away from the experience. I will say – that this is something interesting, and this kind of goes towards uh, speaking about Ohio State and what they're going to be doing in college football, and I guess the NFL too. But what the NBA has and the NHL has with a bubble, it only takes one person to come in there and pop the bubble, so to speak, like Lou Williams at the Gentleman's Club in Atlanta. If hypothetically Lou Williams gets COVID and comes back to the bubble, you know he's going to infect everyone because all of the teams are in that bubble versus a, a sport that doesn't have the bubble, like the MLB, where you see, okay, the Marlins get some cases, uh, the Cardinals Brewers have some cases, but you can kind of just isolate those teams because they've only come in contact with the teams that they have played, uh, you know, in the previous series. So in college football, you know, as long as you can set up the schedule where you have all these bye weeks, it's like, all right, Minnesota gets a bunch of positive tests, they just played Ohio State. We're going to cancel their next week's games. That's going to allow them to quarantine for 14 days each, and then we'll reevaluate and test everyone. I think that that is something that definitely goes in the favor of playing college football in the fall. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I'm trying to be careful because I, this, this is a sensitive topic, and it is an issue. You know, no one likes to see – loss of life obviously um my i think my question mike for you becomes you know at what point at at what point do we have to just realize that some some people are probably going to get this virus they're going to test positive they may even get sick i'm not i'm not by any means saying that i'm rooting for that but you know, the, the MLB had to expect that when they were starting to play baseball again, that people were going to get this virus. Um, even the NBA, you know, they've done a great job of keeping that bubble right now. But who's to say some slip-up doesn't happen and there's an outbreak? Sh- should these leagues, should these athletic directors and, and university presidents expect this virus? Do you, do you see what I'm asking? Yeah, I, I think that you – should expect it, um, and I think that there should also be protocols in place to handle it. I think the MLB didn't have great protocols to start, but I think they kind of did a decent job of adjusting on the fly um, with the whole Marlins issue and whatnot. So, yeah, I think that colleges have to realize that it's going to be a thing, and then that's why you also have to give these athletes the opportunity to opt out if they want. You know, you can't force mm-hmm. them to play by any means. And same thing in, in pro, you know, and and that's why you kind of got to just balance the risks and the benefits. A lot of these guys want to get out there and play. They want to, you know, take the risk. Even though, it's a, even if it's a 1% chance that they're going to get the virus, and even if it's a 1% of 1% chance that they get seriously impacted by the virus, there a lot of these guys on Ohio State, for example, want to get out there and they want to put film on tape because they want to make it to the next level and play pro football. So it's just a calculated risk that everyone has to deal with, and that, that goes for all of society. It's not just athletics. Sure, sure. And that, I think that presents an interesting question, Mike. Uh, you talked about the option, the potential to – opt out and that's you know that's something we can talk more about here in a little bit but that's something that i think ohio state who has guys like obviously justin fields sean wade but you even look at at some of the offensive linemen wyatt davis josh myers these kids are all chris Olave, even potential first round picks Uh, you know there could be some tough decisions certainly coming their way yeah, what I've heard from a majority of other podcasts uh, is that basically I think that most of these guys are going to probably start the season, but if there's some kind of, like, pause, then – and then, like, it – basically what I'm trying to say is if we end up playing college football in the spring in any capacity, I don't think that any of these NFL prospects are going to be playing. Uh, and that seems to be kind of the unanimous opinion because it'd be too close to the NFL draft. They don't want to risk injuries and not being able to perform for any pro days or combines and, and, and be hurt for the draft. So I totally understand that. Um, it, it's going to be weird, you know, and I think a lot of this we have to kind of figure out on the fly. 
and just be sensitive to everyone's uh, feelings, whether they want to play or they don't want to play. I think it's important that fans don't, like, you know, tweet at Justin Fields being like, you know, you blank, like, why are you not, like, playing? We want to win a national championship. Um, you <laughs> right, know, right. <laughs> like, you selfish idiot, like, for not wanting to play uh, college football during coronavirus. But, yeah, so just everyone just, you know, let's be happy for whatever we can get in the fall. And, uh, you know, I think uh, it, it's still far, far away, but it's definitely hopeful now that a lot of these pro sports are, are coming back and, and coming back, I would say, in large part successfully. If, if I may, Mike, uh, would you indulge just a, a little rant that I could go on here for just a brief second? Take it away. Mike is yours. I would just like to say that this idea of – of the Big Ten, and even college football at large, playing in the spring, I just think it is idiotic. It is, it is, it couldn't work. It, it won't work. We we start with the idea that the best players aren't going to play. Trevor Lawrence, he ain't playing. Justin Fields, he ain't playing. Micah Parsons at Penn State, he ain't playing. So you're already got a watered down product. Then you get into to teams in the Big Ten, like Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin. These teams play in a very northern state. Do you know how cold it is in January and February in those states? Like 20 degrees on average. And so some people will say, oh, that's fine. Let's, let's just wait until March and then play a 10-game season. Well, if you start a season in March – that means you're starting camp in February. You're playing four games in March, four or five games in April, two games in May, and then the playoffs early June. Guess what? Camp for 2021 starts in July. You think – I know that these kids are young and they can bend and they can move and they're strong and they're fast. But do we really think they can take one month off and just come right back out and play another college football season? I think it's it's crazy. Spring could not work. Yeah, Rant and over. also you have no – I was going to – I appreciate that. You have no flexibility with that either. Like hypothetically, if, you know, all of the Big Ten test positive – not all the Big Ten, but it's if, if like all the teams in the Big Ten test positive, like five or ten players, and they have to shut down the sport and everyone has to quarantine for a couple of weeks, there is zero flexibility with that spring schedule. Um, so, yeah, I agree. There's no way that that would work. Uh, if, but also, it's like with the spring, like what – what do you do like what do you accomplish playing in the spring versus the fall? Do you think that magically there's going to be a vaccine that's gonna come and I you know, there there's no way that a vaccine is going to be tested adequately. Like people don't understand that these vaccines are still being in production and then they have to be tested on animals and then they have to be tested in humans and they have to monitor the complications of the of the vaccine for two years. You know, there's not going to be a safe vaccine that's going to happen magically in January, you know, for example. And I kind of really hope, selfishly speaking, obviously, because we're fans and we want college football, I think this virus is going to get a lot worse in the winter uh, when everyone is kind of huddled indoors. And if we could kind of play college football in the fall and kind of get it over with before the virus really starts to kind of come in a second wave, then maybe we can kind of like, you know, okay, cancel spring sports, whatever. We don't have college basketball again, which would kind of suck, but at least we would get the college football season in. Obviously, I'm speaking purely selfishly, but that's how I feel. Sure. That that brings up an interesting point, Mike, and I'm glad you brought that up. You know, you, you mentioned the idea of trying to get this season in before the winter. You are – you know, you know, you have a vast medical background. You're preparing to be a doctor very soon. So not to say that you understand this as well as a, a virologist, but you have a good idea of, of how viruses and, and things work and, and even how, like you said, how a vaccine would work. And so knowing that it likely will get worse come winter, um, what do you think is the best method to carry out the season? You know, we're, we've seen some different um, moves. I think the Big 12 now is the only conference to not say we're playing conference only. But, you know, we, we see the Big 10. They kind of make the first announcement. We're doing 10 games 
all-conference, probably starting September 5th, maybe even August 29th. And then you've got the the ACC who says, we're going to start September 12th. We're going to play 10 games and have an, an extra non-conference as long as it's in your state. And then you got the SEC and Pac-12 who aren't starting until September 26th. You know, what? in, in your mind, what do you think is the best method – uh, to, to carrying out this season. We're seeing so many different things. Yeah, what I would do is I would write a giant letter. If I was like the college football czar or commissioner, I would write a letter to every athletic director and be like, this is our plan. You have to tell us if you're tentatively opting in or not. And then, okay, so then 80% of them come back and say, yeah, we're in. And then I would draw the line. I would totally take away conferences. And I would say, okay, this I'm going to redefine conferences for this year. So this is going to be like the Ohio and Michigan conference. And then you have Michigan, Michigan State, Toledo, Akron, Ohio State, Cincinnati. And you ha- you make it very regionally based because as it stands, like, I think it's a lot safer to get on a bus and then you're contained to your team and then you can drive to Cincinnati if you're, if you're Ohio State from Columbus versus getting on sure. a plane and having to fly to Rutgers just to beat them 52 to nothing in a formality. Uh, so I, I would I would keep everything as driving possible. Like have like you know this is the Southern California and Arizona Nevada conference or something like that. You know this is the Texas conference. It'd also be yeah. super interesting. And then you kind of you sort of end up having a normal college football schedule because if Ohio State did that and you have the Ohio State Michigan conference, it's like all right, well they play Akron, they play Cincinnati. They play Toledo to start, and then they have the big games against Michigan State, against Michigan. You know, maybe you throw in Indiana and there's a state. You play Indiana and Notre Dame. Like, I think that would be kind of cool, and I think it would work, and it would limit travel, and it would limit exposure. So that's what I would do. I think it's unrealistic because there's no, uh, you know, you have kind of like the Wild West. Like, all of these conferences are kind of working independently and trying to find some kind of solution, uh, and you don't have a commissioner to kind of just – grab everyone and say, this is what we're doing, but that's hypothetically what I would do. Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that's, you know, that's what we're running into already with the MLB with, you know, they have these regions, but Toronto can't bust to Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, Cleveland, it can't bust to Minnesota. It's, it's, I mean, I guess they could, but it's not ideal and so it's the same thing, at, you know, in the Big Ten Conference. You can't bust to Nebraska. You can't, you yeah. know, some of these places you just can't bust to. Um, and so I, I love that idea, Mike. I think for me that if looking at what the conferences have already chosen, I think you have to pick or, or the, the wisest choice decision is to do what the Big Ten it very well likely looks like the Big Ten may do. I would start August 29th, and then I'd put the the Big Ten championship game, like December 19th, I think that's when the SEC is doing it. And if I'm not mistaken, if you start August 29th, you'll have 15 weeks to accomplish 10 games. And so hypothetically, kind of like you mentioned earlier, you could have a bye week between every, you know, you could have a bye week after every couple of games. And if the entire conference has the same bye weeks, you could very easily shift the schedule as needed. You know, so like you said, Ohio State goes and plays um, at Nebraska, and there's a, a small outbreak there. Okay, well, we're going to quarantine all these teams. We're going to push Ohio State and Nebraska's next game back, and then we'll, you know, we'll play that on a bye week. I think that is the most sustainable way because you have so many extra weeks to work with. I, I feel like the SEC trying to get, or even the ACC trying to get, you know, 10, 11 games in in 13 weeks, I just don't see how that's going to be successful or how that could work. Yeah, and when you don't have – when you don't have fans to worry about in the stands, and I guess that's a whole separate issue because I know some teams uh, still want to have fans in the stands, uh, you know, come Saturday. You can kind of almost like a backyard football game, you know, like like, like Ryan Day just, you know, text Jim Harbaugh like, yeah, you know, 
um, the, you know, let, let's, let's play this game like on this day, for example. And the only people that really have to be roped in would be the, obviously, athletic directors, but then like the, the Fox or whoever's covering the game, you can kind of go on the run. Like hypothetically, let's say Ohio State's supposed to play Minnesota this week. And, um, and then Michigan State is supposed to play Indiana. And Indiana and Minnesota just played last week and a bunch of them tested positive. Well, then you quarantine Indiana and Minnesota and then Ohio State and Michigan State says, hey, you know, you don't have a game this week. We, I don't, we don't have a game this week. Let's play this week, you know? And yeah. you kind of have to do a lot. That's, that's basically what happened in the MLB with, uh, the Yankees and Orioles when, like, the, I think it was the Marlins and the Phillies, like, couldn't play for a few days. So I, I think there might be a lot of that. What have, what have you heard as far as, like, I, I know Alabama, I'm sure that they want to go, like, full speed ahead and put 100% capacity in their stands. But I saw some number out there, like, Ohio State wants to have, like, 20% of fans or something like that. So, Mike, yeah, you're right. That does bring up an interesting point. It's like, you know, some of these places are saying that they may have fans in the stands. Well, what about what about if students on these campuses are taking classes online? You know, part of me thinks that would be wonderful because if, you know, normal everyday quote-unquote students aren't around, the chances for the, these football players to get sick is probably less. You could pretty much bubble them up. However, I mean, at what point is that, you know, these kids aren't participating in amateur athletics anymore if their health and safety is being put on the line for a product on TV, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that goes to a whole separate issue as far as, like, which students go back on campus. And honestly, if you're in college, like, you know, we could speak, we could, unless things have changed in the last, like, six or seven years since, since we graduated, Nate, like, we could have basically done everything online. I think I probably went to, like, 5% of classes uh, in my entire Ohio State career, and you know, I turned out fine. Uh, you know, and, and I know people say, like, oh, you know, chemistry labs and stuff. Chemistry labs don't – you don't learn anything in those things. It's just the formality. It's, it's really stupid. Uh, and, and, you know, you should – I understand the debate, like, who needs to come back to school more so for, like, young kids. Like, you can't do remote learning with a seven-year-old. But for college kids, it should be totally fine. So I think it'd be cool to just have everyone do remote learning for Ohio State in the, for the fall but still have the players travel. If anything, it works better for their schedule because they, they can take classes and they can do Zoom meetings while they're on the run. Um, but I guess that does kind of, as you were saying, kind of take away from the amateurism a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it sucks because that it, it also takes away from, you know, those young men are at Ohio State, you know, partially to get to the league, partially maybe some of them to get an education, but some of them are also there just to be kids, to, to go to college and have fun and, and enjoy being, you know, a college athlete on a college campus. And so it, it really is just such a bummer, Mike. I, I just had this thought. I want to ask you, um, your freshman season at Ohio State was the Luke Fickle year, that infamous year. Would you rather be a freshman student and get to go to all the football games, but your team goes six and seven, or uh, or be uh, a student this year? You're going to have a great football team if they play, if they allow you in the stands. What what is kind of your preference? Uh, I really enjoyed that freshman year. Um, you know, it was just, I guess. I have a little bit different perspective because I had never been to a college football game before. And, you know, for you, it was like, yeah, you know, like this is just how it is. You know, I've been to a bunch of Ohio State games and, and college football games. But, you know, I was from little old New Jersey, never been to a Rutgers game. And, you know, I finally remember the game where we beat, I think it was Braxton Miller to, it might have been Philly Smith, where we beat Russell Wilson's Wisconsin team and we stormed the field and stuff. And uh, yeah, I remember hugging. I remember hugging Boom Heron's uh, dad uh, on the field. Um, so the, you know, those those moments are are they're, they're formative years if you're a college football fan. So I just remember being blown away with Ohio State and and just the atmosphere. It would really be a shame if like, but you know, the, a lot of these students were able to go to the games last year, and they'll be able to go to the games next year. You know, it's how many right. people actually are like missing the experience. Uh, 
throughout college. If anything, they're just missing like 25% of their experience. So yeah, you know, it stinks. Like you're not going to be able to get the things out of Ohio State that you would if you were under normal circumstances, but these are not normal circumstances and hopefully things, you know, will go back to normal eventually. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, you know, and it's so easy to become spoiled going to those football games, but I miss it now. I, you know, I, I wish I could be there. Uh, I think I'd have to pick, I'd want to, I'd sacrifice a season not getting to watch the Buckeyes in person for a team like they have this year, you know, a team that should be in contention, you know, at least for a big 10 title, hopefully much more. Um, I think I would be just fine watching this team on TV if I had to. Oh, I'll, I'll take anything. I would rather they go like six and six than we don't have football at all. Cause there's still, well, maybe that's, that's probably a bad example. Cause that would like set back the program, but just in general, you know, I'll take like the crappiest sports as opposed to no sports at all. I am a, a junkie in that, you know, in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um, but, yeah, Nate, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else on the topic of coming back. I guess, yeah, I think that we agree that the Big Ten has it figured out probably the best. Um, you know, I was listening to a radio show, and they, he was kind of – the host was power ranking, you know, which conference is most likely to cancel the season if need be. And I think kind of the unanimous opinion was probably the Pac-12 is most likely uh, – he actually had the Big Ten as the next most likely, so second most likely to cancel, which I thought was kind of interesting. I don't necessarily see that. I mean, I understand the SEC would play. SEC is going to play regardless. You know, this coronavirus yep. has had a 60% death rate, and you're still going to see, uh, you know, the SEC file in as much as possible. So I understand that. Right. Do you think that the Big Ten is, is second most likely to cancel besides the Pac-12? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question, Mike. Um uh, I did. I did have the thought initially. Smart on the big or the Pac-12, you know, behalf because if they just cancel the season, they don't have to be left out of the playoffs. Um, but, true, yeah. but I, you know, I I think it comes down to the Big Ten or the ACC. Um, and the reason that I say that is because the Big Twelve and the SEC both are so they're more like regionally located you know the the big 12 yeah. has virtually half its teams in texas you got texas oklahoma kansas i guess iowa sec same thing pretty centrally located but the big 10 spans nebraska to new jersey uh the the acc spans from you know new york state maybe further north all the way down to miami beach um, yeah. And so that kind of distance, I think, does make things a little, uh, a little bit murky. And then I, I, the other part of it is, you know, maybe I was just raised to think this way, to think better of the Big Ten than you know all the other conferences. But there is like a legit part of me that feels like the Big Ten athletic directors and even like university presidents. I think that they may care a little bit more about the student-athletes and their well-being. Not to say that they don't care in the SEC or in the the Big 12, but I think they may care a little bit more in the Big 10, whereas, you know, the SEC is just like, just give me my football and I'll get out of the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's something to definitely consider. I think think you sort of have – because, like, Ohio, just in general as a state, was more ahead of, of this whole, like, coronavirus stuff than, than most states. I think they probably handled the, the best. Uh, Michigan, you know, they had some problems with some spikes, but in general, I think that they were pretty good in terms of locking down. And then, you know, a, the ACC and the SEC have teams in Florida, and Florida's been the Wild West throughout this entire uh, coronavirus <laughs> stuff, so... So yeah, I think I think that they're kind of like conservative in in those terms, you know, with the virus and in terms of locking down. But um, I don't know; it, it's going to be interesting. Nate, if you had to make your prediction now, just whether or not I'm going to say like yes or no, the season goes on without a hitch. You know, maybe there's one or two games that are postponed because of the coronavirus. But do you think we will eventually play 
that 10-game season that the Big Ten's trying to do, we'll have a Big Ten mm. championship and even a college football playoff. Do you think we'll get I, that? I, I actually, I really do. If, you know, you would have asked me that question four weeks ago, I'd have probably said no chance. Um, but I, I just feel a lot of hope. I feel like these conferences and these leagues are going to do whatever they can to get these seasons in. Um, and so I feel I, I would put it at 80%. I think there's a 100% chance that they start. And then I'd put um, put it at about 80% chance that they're going to get all the way through the season. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying there won't be hiccups along the way because I certainly think there will be. But I do think we're going to get a, a, a full college football season. Yeah, I think and it, I think a lot of people, once they get a taste of college football, and this goes for not just fans, but like the coaches and the athletic directors, and they're going to see the money coming in from the TV deals and stuff, they're going to be very, very hesitant to cancel. And I think that's like when there were positive tests in the MLB, uh, Rod Manfred was like, yeah, we're, we're playing, you know, because he saw how high the ratings were for MLB. I think they were the highest for opening day that they were in like 15 years or something crazy like that. And right. For college football, there's just more intensity in general. I think that there's going to be incredible ratings. If they can put people in the stands, that's fine. That's just a bonus. You know, I think the more important thing is to be able to play the game and, uh, you know, I, I I agree with you. I think we will get it. I wouldn't put it as high as eighty percent that we finish the season. Um, we might have some kind of like old school thing where there's no playoff uh, at all, and it's kind of like mm. how it used to be, where you have like five teams claiming a national championship, which would kind of stink, but it, it would be better than no football at all. So I will say we definitely start in maybe like fifty to seventy percent that this season ends. Um, you know, with a champion, with someone definitively crowned. Well, and Mike, the other interesting thing to think about, you know, you brought up TV revenue and dollars. Um, with these leagues doing these, you know, kind of Wild West type, they're going to play when they can. They're going to all have their own schedules. I think the ratings for these games are going to be higher than they've ever been. You know, like Definitely. you're going yeah. you're going to get – Rutgers, Ohio State in prime time, and because and and since there's no SEC game going on yet, people are going to be starving for that. They'll watch whatever they have to watch. You know, I'll I'll watch Kansas go to Oklahoma because I, I just want to watch football. Yeah, I think there's even a Nate. You're just like a sports fan, like through and through. But there are also tons of people that, and I think people don't really consider this, but DraftKings and FanDuel just in terms of, like, gambling on games, not just, like, picking a roster, but gambling on games is, is now legal in, like, 11 states or something like that versus last football season. I think DraftKings was only operating out of, like, two states. So I think that there's a whole other contingent of people who are going to be gambling on these games. And, you know, when you're gambling on sports, you don't care whether it's, like, Rutgers or Indiana or Ohio State, Michigan. You know, you're interested in watching the game um, that you're betting, right? So if you have all right. of these games in, in different windows, I think that's going to increase the ratings too because, you know, people are going to see, hey, I want, I have, I have an itch to put $5 on a game. Oh, Indiana and Rutgers is playing? Let's go. Let's bring it on. So I think that right. this whole, I think as, as sports gambling grows, I think that's also going to reflect in, in positively in ratings. I think the NFL and, and college football, this is going to be the, highest like the most successful year that they've had in terms of tv revenue of all time wow wow i i think i i think that there's definitely a really good chance of that um no doubt no doubt and it's going to be you know this is going to be such a fun season all the way around this fall because we're going to have these incredible mlb storylines you know hopefully they make it through the season but you're going to have crazy races 60 games there's going to be teams that don't belong uh in the playoffs that are there you're going to have teams in the playoffs who pull upsets probably as they expand to 16 teams in the playoffs you're going to it, it's just going to be and then you got the NBA going on all fall um with playoffs you're going to have NFL hopefully like we've said college football i think it's going to be a really really fun fall season 
Like the last question I'll ask you um, on this topic, it's it's something that I've heard quite a bit of, you know, quite a bit of speculation on the Big Ten schedule is yet to come out. Rumor has it that it will be sometime next week. Um, my question for you, when do you think the Ohio State-Michigan game is going to be? There's, there's some push that it should be, you know, early, maybe – early September, late September. There's talk about playing all the division games first um, for the Big Ten, or do you think they try and protect this traditional rivalry? What do you What do you think? What would you prefer, I guess I should ask you? Well, I guess if you put it earlier, you're, it's more likely to happen, right? Um, so I right. think that's kind of a positive. But here's why I – so are they? Do you know if they're dismantling divisions? I know the ACC is doing this. I haven't heard if the Big Ten is doing this. Okay. Like in terms of just having, I well, okay. The reason why I ask that is hypothetically, if they are not doing divisions, if they're not doing the traditional East-West Big Ten stuff, then put Ohio State, Michigan earlier in the season because there's a really good chance that we get a rematch in the Big Ten championship later in the season. Uh, if you just say, okay, the top two teams. Get it. I think that would be really, really cool. Imagine a season where you have an Ohio State-Michigan game, um, you know, the third week of the season, and then you also have a rematch later in the season. I think that that would be, like, really awesome. If you don't do that, if you're sticking to traditional uh, divisions and stuff, I would just keep the Ohio State-Michigan game as is. Okay, okay. I think I'm, you know uh... – like it's it's known about me that I'm the type of guy that um you know there's people out there who say I want Michigan to be good, I want this rivalry to be good. Um I am not of that opinion. I want to destroy them. I want Michigan to lose every week. I cannot stand the maize and blue. Um and so you know, I think about this and it's like I would like to play Michigan in September because they're trying to figure out who their quarterback is. They're trying to figure out who some of their starters mm, on the O-line are. They're trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be the guys on that defense. And so, yeah, you know, maybe it's the coward's way, but I'm, I want to play a team when they're weakest and I want to destroy them. Um, the thought of playing them in the Big Ten championship is fun uh, but it also makes me nervous because I know it's tough to beat good teams twice. And so I'm all for a, you know, September 5th Ohio State-Michigan matchup at the shoe, uh, and hopefully a Buckeye win. Well, it's tough to beat good teams twice, but Michigan is, is not a good team, uh, at least as they're presently constructed. Michigan's always overrated, just as a side note. They, I, I would, I'm going to do a study, and I'll report back on the next podcast. The last 15 years, whether Michigan, their preseason ranking was above or below their postseason ranking. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I guarantee yeah. you that 70% of the time they finished the year, um, you know, lower, ranked lower in the polls than they started the year. I, I'll report back on that. Okay. I, I would like to hear that. I would like to hear uh, your findings. But yeah, so Nate, we have two questions from the listeners, right? If you want to get some yeah. yeah. So the first question comes from Jerome. Uh, he says the the latest season of Last Chance You just dropped on Netflix. For those listeners who aren't aware, Last Chance You kind of highlights in depth um, a junior college program across the nation. This is their fifth season. I've particularly really enjoyed it. Um, and Jerome's question is just, what three Buckeyes would you want to be most highlighted if Ohio State was to be featured on Last Chance U? Uh, so, now this is interesting. So, you probably need to consider, like, personality, right, in addition to, like, how good they are? Absolutely. Um, probably I would go Justin Fields for sure, uh, number one with a bullet just because of how, like, talented he is. I think, for me, Chris Olave would be interesting just because he okay. kind of – he was, what, like, in a class of 25, Olave was, like, the 21st or 22nd ranked guy. I think he would definitely have an interesting story going through the ranks, uh, the trials and tribulations to become kind of the number one receiver 
for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And then for the last one, uh, I'm, I'm tempted to say Sean Wade. I think he has an interesting story, you know, coming back for his senior season. I think that would kind of be a really cool theme and just, you know, he's going to be a leader of that defense, a leader in the locker room. And I just, I would like to see it, see that. Maybe yeah, CJ yeah. Saunders. Be, that would be my, that would be my fourth pick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I like CJ Saunders. Well, I'm, I'm with you, Mike, on the first one. I'd love to see Justin Fields. You know, he's the best player on that offense, if you ask me. Um, and so it'd be, I think it'd just be a lot of fun to kind of follow him around. Um, and see, you know, who he is uh, away from the football field. Um, my number two pick, I'm going to go away from a player that might be cheating, and I'm actually going to pick a unit. I'm going to say the offensive line room. Um, and the reason for that is I just think they have tons of talent. Uh, Thayer Mumford, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis. We're, we're also going to break in Harry Miller, likely at left guard, a five-star kid. Um, and then, you know, Nicholas Petit Frere or Paris Johnson kind of battling for that right tackle spot. Quick math, Mike, that's a four star at left tackle, five at left guard, five at center, five at right guard, five at right tackle. I think it'd be a lot of fun to see them compete. Um, and also, you know, I think it's fun to see for a long time Ohio State offensive linemen called themselves the slobs. It'd be fun to see what the slobs are up to. Um, and then the last one that I would pick, I, I think it'd be Baron Browning. Um, and hear me out on this. I, I think it's because it's always fun to, to follow the story of one of those guys who, you know, so many pundits have, have kind of written him off. He was such a talented recruit. He just hasn't panned out. It'd be fun to see what happens with him in his final year. And he's just so versatile. Plays the middle backer, outside backer, some D end. Um, I think that'd be w- would be fun to watch. Um, I think he would he would be uh, if you like sort of go back to like the 2015 national team, national championship team. I think a similar guy as Baron Browning would be like Curtis Grant. Came here as a mm. five star recruit, as like very a lot of hype, and kind of like didn't live up to it, but then senior year ended up being a really big impact player for that national championship team and, and a leader. I think that would be kind of kind of cool just in retrospect. Similar story as Baron Browning. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, uh, the last question we have here comes from Jake. Excuse me. He said, I've been watching a lot of JT Barrett highlights over the course of the last few weeks. There's, and, and he comments, there's such a big difference between J.T. Barrett as a freshman, maybe at Michigan State, and J.T. Barrett as a junior or senior against Clemson, against Michigan. Um, and so his, re, or his question is, what do you think happened to J.T. Barrett? What do you blame most on his demise? And he gives three different options, the first one being he lost Tom Herman, the second one being a – mix of lost confidence and also lack of playmakers. And the third one being he just wasn't really that great to start with. He was just elevated by a really good team around him in 2014. Uh, man, that's tough. I, well, so like, are we saying what did hap- what happened to JT Barrett his sophomore and his junior season? Because his senior season was really solid. I mean, I just pulled up his stats. Uh, 8.2 yards per attempt, 35 touchdowns through the air, nine interceptions versus his sophomore and junior season where he had 6.7 yards per attempt, um, a total of 35 touchdowns and 11 interceptions between those two seasons. So, you know, JT Barrett threw as many touchdowns his senior year uh, as he did his sophomore and junior year combined. So what happened to those two years? I mean, I, I don't. I think we're kind of, and the Ohio State fan base in general is kind of kicking JT Barrett while he's down a little bit. I mean, he is still going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks in the history of this school. Like, let's not forget what he did against Penn State in that comeback uh, at home with the gray uniforms. That was an amazing performance. He was perfect. He was lights out in the fourth quarter in, in that. So I, I don't know. I I think that those two years though is, is probably a combination of all those things. I think. Tom Herman leaving, I think that, you know, losing Michael Thomas, the best receiver in the NFL, and Ezekiel Elliott, a top three running back in the NFL, 
is definitely huge. He also missed his left tackle. Uh, it, there was a big overhaul, and I think part of it, too, was like, I think Urban Meyer never really took off the, uh, like, the handcuffs a little bit. You know, I think that JT Barrett was very restrained by what he was doing in the office, I, or doing the offense. I think that he did probably a lot of, like, he did a lot of QB draws and got beaten up over time, and I think that might have played into it, but, yeah, his senior year, he threw for over 3,000 yards. So let's not make this like, oh, what happened to J.T. Barrett? Because uh, he still finished his career pretty strong. Yeah, yeah, all all really good points, Mike. Um, you know, I, I think that for me, I'm going to kind of mix the first and the second point. I think that losing Tom Herman – um, that definitely hurt this kid. Uh, Tom Herman, we saw it. We saw it with the offense in general. That offense in 2015 still had Zeke, still had, uh, Michael Thomas, had Cardale Jones, had Curtis Samuel, so many others, had Paris Campbell, um, still just did not live up to the billing because they had Tim Beck and, and, um, Ed Warner calling plays. And so I think that that, mm-hmm. That has a large part to do with it. But I also think that there was a bit of a drop-off there. You know, like I said, I've watched this 2006 Michigan game a couple of times now. And all that JT Barrett had around him that season really was Curtis Samuel. Uh, Curtis Samuel was electric. But then you had a, a freshman, Mike Weber, running the football, you had Noah Brown out wide. He, you know, he was okay, um, but nothing outstanding. Um, he just lacked weapons. Then he had a guy like Isaiah Prince on, <laughs> uh, you know, at right tackle who helped him get sacked a whole bunch. And so I, I think that it's a mix of those things. I, you know, I'm with you. I think JT Barrett's kind of taken a – he's taken some criticism – um, but go look at the record books for the Big Ten, and his name is, you know, with all of them. We've gotten very spoiled in terms of what, what we consider. Like, if you consider how J.T. Barrett ended his career, uh, yeah, and look, not everyone can throw 40 touchdowns and, and two interceptions like Justin Fields. But that year, J.T. Barrett's senior year, we ran into the buzzsaw that was the Oklahoma Sooners with, with Baker Mayfield, who really wanted revenge. Yes, the Iowa game was unfortunate, but, you know, we have we beat number two-ranked Penn State. We beat number 13th-ranked Michigan State, 48-3. We beat number three-ranked Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. And then we beat Sam Darnold in the Cotton Bowl, who was number eight-ranked USC at the time, 24-7. So I think, yeah, it's, it sucks that we lost two games that year, but we still finished the year strong with a BCS uh Bowl victory, and we won the Big Ten. Like you know, that's still pretty good. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm absolutely with you. Um, and and he had remarkably difficult circumstances as well. Let's not forget that the the him having to battle Cardale Jones. Cardale had just won a national mm-hmm. title. It was tricky. That you know, there's a lot to balance. There's so many guys on that team that needed the football. Um, and so let's just, you know, and, and I, I guess the last thing I'll say on the, on the topic, Mike, is that all of this stuff gets highlighted because Ryan Day was brought in and Ryan Day is a quarterback whisperer. I mean, he developed Dwayne Haskins. He's developing Justin Fields. He's bringing in kids that he should develop like Kyle McCord and CJ Stroud and Jack Miller. You know, somehow he even gets some of the credit for Joe Burrow. Um, mm-hmm. And so we compare J.T. Barrett to those guys, and that's not fair. You know, I I have to wonder, does Alabama, they're bringing in Bryce Young, the best quarterback in the 2020 class. He's probably going to be a rock star. Are they going to compare A.J. McCarron to, to a tug of Iloa and, and – um, Bryce Young, probably not. A.J. McCarron did what he was supposed to do when he was at Alabama, and I can be thankful for that. 
Yeah, if you can go four years and your least successful season in terms of wins and losses was losing two games, uh, that's fantastic, you know, wherever you are. And let's not forget, you know, some programs like Alabama is, and Clemson and Ohio State, you know, other than those three programs, every other program in the country, you can't pick a five-year span or a ten-year span where basically every season they're in double-digit victories, right? So we're very, very lucky to have the team that we have. We should never really take that for granted. We should always remind ourselves this. And and that's kind of like the fact that Ryan Day has been able to keep the wheel churning and and been able to put us in the position where we can continue that success after what Urban Meyer built. I think is just like so tremendous and we should just, you know, be quick to, or don't be so quick to bury guys like JT Barrett because he really had a phenomenal career. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, the la- this is the last thing we'll say on it, Mike, but what JT Barrett did and meant to this program cannot be understated, Mike. The year that, that, yeah, sure. Cardale Jones, won those three games and won the national championship. But the season, the the team that yeah. developed was led by JT Barrett. And if if people just will remember for a second, that August we got the news, Braxton Miller, shoulder injured again, out for the season. That could have been a six and six year. That could have been an eight and four year. But JT Barrett, in large part, not Ezekiel Elliott, not Michael Thomas, JT Barrett led us to an 11 and 1 season and then you know so much more happened after that. Um but JT Barrett man, he's done so much for this program. Yeah, uh we couldn't agree more on that. But yeah, we appreciate the questions. Great questions. Uh tweet any you have to us at nuts for bucks pod. Uh Nate next next podcast will actually have the outline of the Big Ten schedule and be able to break it down in a little bit more detail. But it shows, you know, we've been going for about an hour thus far on this podcast without even a schedule to talk about. So it just goes to show how excited we are to have sports back. I'm about to watch a full day of NHL hockey. I never thought I would say that. Um, But, yeah, (laughs) that just just goes to show. How juicy is next week going to be? I can't wait to talk schedule. (laughs) 